It is September 24th, 2023, and this is Gigantic Pop number four. I'm Glenn Rubenstein, joined as always by Matt Morgan and Raj Giri today to talk about Top Gun, Maverick, Jerry Maguire, the lessons, the things we've learned, those moments in our life, our journey. And we're going to touch upon some uh, other stuff like college football, the writer strike coming to an end, question mark. And of course, WWE releases, which everybody's talking about right now. Matt Morgan, how's it going, man? I'm doing fantastic. Happy Sunday, everybody. Yes, Rush. How's things? It always loops. I don't know why. <laughs> One week. I am not doing so well. It's been a rough weekend to be a Colorado football fan. So, yeah. Spanked today, got spanked yesterday. Uh, and then today, 70 to 20, 70. The Dolphins scored 70 against the Broncos. I mean, it was. Ugh, I made, and, and it wasn't all Russell Wilson's fault either. I made out like a bandit. I started Moster today on my uh, fantasy team for the Dolphins. Jeez. Uh, oh, it got wrecked. It's been brutal. Raj, is your uh, semi-retired life just like uncut gems at this point and you're making degenerate prop bets <laughs> on sports? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, today was pretty straightforward, but it's getting more and more loose every week. I, I did bet on CU. I did, uh, not not that they'd win, but I bet that twenty-one and a half uh, spread because I didn't think they'd lose by more than that. But uh, you know, I was proven wrong. So uh, you know, I had bet a bet on Shane Strickland. Uh, I put a, a lot of money on Shane Strickland because the odds were so big uh, a few weeks ago. So that's been holding me over so far. There you go. What, so what else is hot? What's everyone talking about now? I hear college football. WWE is going, leaving Fox, going back to USA. <clears throat> USA uh, is going to take SmackDown. But Fox is like, we don't need you on Friday night. We got these college football games everybody loves. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. They did monster numbers, especially when uh, they've got Colorado. Even though Colorado lost, that did gangbuster numbers. Um, and Colorado will continue to do gangbuster numbers. So will college football. College football is exciting this year. CU had 25, over 25 million viewers for its three games. Oh. So uh, Deion Sanders is just a draw. Like he has, he has brought a level of uh, interest that hadn't been there. You know, last, I, my, my wife went to CU and we don't watch CU games, you know, right. like, uh, <laughs> Like they were one and eleven last season, but man, Dion has just energized that team. Clearly, they're not the best. Uh, they were I, I don't I don't know if exposed is the right word, but it was you know it, so, it was shown that they're not so when, at the level of the top guys. When you play team, when you play when you're playing at that level, the difference between like even for college basketball, when I play college basketball at a small D one school or a smaller. Yeah. D- program and i played against duke or syracuse the difference is always the depth and 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 football for example the difference between an oregon and a usc and a colorado is the front line and the defense line um that's that's always the biggest difference i mean that poor kid couldn't even get a throw off he kept getting killed and sacked and he's a He's pretty elusive. He's, he doesn't explain himself as being fast or quick, but he's fast enough to be very elusive back there. And he couldn't get anything cooking. Um, yes, they didn't have Travis Hunter. That definitely hurt. But even with Travis Hunter, they weren't scoring no 40 points. Um, that defense absolutely obliterated them. And I'm hoping that, you know, they're able to pull this back around because I'm on their bandwagon all year long. I yeah. love personal story with this team. Yeah. And they have a hell of a story. And I think that's kind of, I mean, that's been the thing. I mean, you you talk about with wrestling with stories. That goes with anything. And you see why CU is generating these gigantic ratings because that that story that's there. And uh, I I, I hope they get back on the bandwagon. I mean, you know, get get, pull it together because uh, that is a great story. Deion Sanders, superstar. So uh, it's just, you just want to see him doing well. He's just one of those guys. And he's he's so funny, but at the same time, what he's doing is very important for college football, Glenn. Like he's mm. the culture, and I, I'm not just saying that for hyper yeah. for hyperbole sakes. He is literally changing how you recruit now. They didn't have what's now called the NIL back when I was playing college ball. So yeah. I'm 
basically seeing my jersey being sold in the library. Now, my name wasn't on it, but it was my number. And I'm being like, damn, that sucks. I don't get anything out of that, you know? And uh, <laughs> at point guard, he used to sell a ton of, like, ton of people used to always buy his jersey, too. He didn't get anything for it. Now, with NIL, you have these great deals worked out where it's going to keep kids in college that, you know, that, that uh, may want to come out early and things like that to be paid to help their families out, especially those that are from the inner city and, and are trying to help their families, you know, come up mm-hmm. and, uh, with that NFL tempting draft money. So NIL is a big help. And Dion is the very best coach, in my opinion, in all of America, of utilizing NIL to get studs, five-star, four-star, three, three-star recruits to come to Colorado and give them a chance and play with them. Whereas normally these kids would go to a USC and Alabama, et cetera. They're not going to be coming to Colorado, especially when you have young, you have a, you have a, um, a Wheezy on the sidelines. You have a, um, all these different people, all these celebrities that Deion keeps bringing out to the games. Terrell Owens is at every game. He's damn near a coach at this point. Um, all these huge celebrities that these kids look up to. I mean, good Lord, they had The Rock doing their, yeah. pre, their pregame pep talk. It's just, it's a big deal. And I know everyone's the haters on this team for whatever reason. I don't know why they're haters, but I, I like makes me like them even more because what he's doing culturally is shifting the uh, um, you know the the post so to speak in college football and how kids get recruited now, and uh, he's at the very forefront of it. Yeah, and a lot of people thought like the Rock Beyond SmackDown last week was. I know. I'm setting something up for WrestleMania. That wasn't the case at all. He was there for CU, happened (laughs) to be in town. The timing just worked out perfectly. Thousand percent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Dion's always, I mean, I remember when he played for the 49ers that one year. And then, of course, he released that album, uh, Must Be the Money, still a banger. (laughs) And uh, he's just always had a very interesting career. So it's good that he's raising the profile, changing the game a bit. He's a hell of a dad. The hell of a dad, too. I think that's what draws a lot of average viewers to want to watch now and root for non football playing. Play, sorry, non college football fans are now becoming college football fans to watch yeah. because his youngest son, I'm sorry, his oldest son, uh, Bucky, does um, I forget what's called off. I forget the name of his production company. He's got his own production company where they're putting everything on YouTube, everything, mm. multiple a day their practices eating in the cafeteria getting to know each of these kids and they've got so many hundreds of thousands of viewers watching them and so now they're attracting non-normal or non-average college football fans to become college football fans they're better yet colorado fans to follow them in this story because of what a badass dad he is he's a great dad he's got two on that team that are both studs yes but he's a good dad man he teaches them good lessons and he shares it with the camera all the time yeah yeah, I love him. Same. He's hard to he's hard to root against. You want you want yeah. the team to do well just because of him. So yep. yeah. And same thing where we ran into uh, we were in the mountains this past weekend, and we were watching the CU game. I felt bad because one of the uh, players, their parents were there, and we were, oh, wow. we were talking with them at the uh, cool. this bar we were at where we we're watching uh, CU. But they were talking about how Dion has just been the greatest coach. Like he, you know, he is. Uh, just a great person. So it's, you know, it's not just hearsay. It's, you know, personal experience, people talking about it. So, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Well, as of the time of this recording, they've still not announced a resolution to the Writers Guild strike uh, that is expected. They're trying to get done before uh, Yom Kippur, the Jewish high uh, holiday tomorrow. And uh, we should have some news soon. And then the SAG strike Screen Actors Guild still has to be resolved. So hopefully this will be a jumping off point for that. And we'll get our TVs and movie back. We need Cobra Kai, right? Yeah. Jeez. It's, it's, in, it's in limbo with that. Stranger Things, same thing. A lot, of, a lot of great shows that are just hanging out there. So a lot of people, I think, have been confusing this resolution with the, with the SAG mm-hmm. strike. And it's not the same. This is just the writer strike. And then hopefully uh, it, it can lead on to a resolution with SAG. But SAG is very different. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the the uh, the stuff that they're fighting for is like AI taking over and and using uh, people's imagery without their consent in future movies. Because now, I mean, it's crazy how how well they do AI and and taking someone's face and their imagery and turning it into uh, 
you know, a scene or either mm -hmm. using it for something else. I mean, I, I remember the first time I saw it with that, there was that Tom Cruise video. I don't know if you ever saw that where he's like, oh, yeah, hit this drive and it's not him, but sounds like him, looks like him. So there are some legitimate concerns that, that are very different from the writer strike, but hopefully they figured it out because uh, uh, scripted, uh, scripted TV could use a boost. It's weird. I mean, if you think about where Hollywood's at right now, and I mean, pop culture in general, it seems like the music industry hasn't taken as much of a hit, but between, you know, between COVID and then the strikes, like the last for movies, especially this has been a crazy couple of years for movies. Uh, not as many are hitting theaters, more stuff's going straight to streaming and video. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the resolution there. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about WWE releases later, but the, the main topic for today, you know, we were talking about Tom Cruise uh, in some previous episodes. And we were talking about, I know, Raj, I know you're a big fan of Top Gun and Maverick, Matt, you as well. And uh, it's, it's crazy to think about that because I had this realization today. Top Gun was one of those first movies that I ever saw where it was that character it's weird to see this as a kid when you look back on it, but you're like, oh, this character who he doesn't play by the rules. He antagonizes his superiors. He like doesn't make friends with anyone there, but he saves the day. You know, he's the best. He's the best there is at what he does. And so everybody gives this guy a pass at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, so, it's kind of crazy though. So he's, yeah, he's, kind, he's kind of, he's kind of douchey in, in the first one. Not, not so much in this yeah. one, but Yeah. <laughs> Matt's like that's how I've lived my life. That's that's, that's the template. It gets it done as long as it gets done. <laughs> so I, I remember watching the original one back in the eighties and and being like, I, I don't get it. I don't get why this movie is such a, a rage. Even uh, then, I was like, okay, when when Maverick was coming out, I was like, okay, maybe I just missed it. I'm going to watch it again. Watch it again. I'm like, yeah, this movie kind of sucks. I was not a fan of the original <laughs> Top Gun. So. Uh, Raj, the reason, one of the reasons was we were too young for it, but videos with like, like highlight videos with music in the background were just starting, right? Yeah. Um, so to have that song take my breath away with him riding on the motorcycle with her on the back, like that's an iconic scene that like couples around this world all drooled over and made a big deal about. And, and back then, like, that was a big deal to put a cool soundtrack or a song in the middle yeah. of a movie. It was still somewhat yeah. new. Um, and that was a commercial song. That was a very important, uh, not important, but that was a very popular song. Yeah, it was starting to become a thing because Rocky had done it, like Rocky Three with the oh my. Tiger. It's one of the biggest, one of the greatest. <laughs> one of the biggest things you'll remember about the Rocky series for me, for sure. That is. Yeah. I Oh, Matt's freeze. Oh, there we go. You froze up for a second. But uh, Rocky, did you ever hear that rumor that uh, I the Tiger was meant for Karate Kid and that uh, You're the Best was supposed to be Rocky yeah. Three, and they swapped it? Yes, I did hear that. Thank God it went away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I believe it. I know that's a very popular rumor. Well, but because I the Tiger, if you listen to the lyrics, it, it, it feels like it's made for Rocky Three. For a fight. Yes. Yeah. And also the underdog and being hungry and like getting that eye of the tiger back. You know, that's the whole theme of Rocky three. So what I had heard is you're the best was written for Rocky three, but Stallone liked eye of the tiger more. And the, in fact, the, uh, the lyric in you're the best where he says history repeats itself is because that was meant for Rocky. Huh? Ah. It's another good song. What, yeah. what does that mean, though? History repeats itself. Well, because Rocky, it loses. like, yeah, but but it, that's the thing. It's like try, history succeeds yourself. Try and you'll succeed. Yada yada, and you have the dream. You're the best around. Like, but but if it's supposed to be in the same spot, then that's the part where Mr. T is killing people. You, you uh, know what I mean? Uh, been well placed in Rocky Four when he was climbing instead of Heart on Fire. That would yeah. be that song. Yeah. You know, the heart, uh, heart, Hearts on Fire is an underrated song. It's right. not up there with Eye of the Tiger. But... It's a great song. I love that song. I yeah. still listen to it at the gym. I hate yep. to say it, but I do. It's a great song. Don't be embarrassed. That's a very good song. Yeah. You could do an entire, um, I mean, you could you could do an entire album of just, I mean, even, uh, uh, you know, like Break the Ice from Rad. Like, there's a lot of those sort of songs that are in the same. I mean, it's what. Uh, Must have been love. It's what the South Park guys were parodying in Team America with the montage song. It's it's the idea that it's like you've got 
the generic sort of affirmation like yeah. power rock scene but um it's funny like i didn't like the original top gun but when they started top gun maverick with that same song and like the kind of the, the whole same scenery and everything i was yeah. in i was like that's awesome it was that was cool so matt you were yeah. uh an athlete and a popular kid growing up uh because of your you know good looks uh, athleticism and uh charm sure. <laughs> So when you saw Top Gun in theaters, you just sort of walked out like fist bumped in the fist pumping in the air, being like, "Yeah, no. America." Okay, no, no, okay. I'm still too young. Um, no, it was one of those deals where my parents really dug the movie. My older brother Brian really dug the movie. I just was like, "Man, it was okay. It was great. It was cool. It was a good movie." I mean, but just because of the jet parts, I'm a little. Remember how young we were when that came out? Yeah. I just thought, you know, the, the, the piloting and stuff like that, that was cool. Their names, Goose on the helmet, right? Uh, that was cool. But that's about it. It was out at the same time as Karate Kid Part 2, I remember. And so, like, a, a bunch of my friends uh, went to see Top Gun, and, and I went with them. And, I, man, I was like, I want to walk out and go see Karate Kid Part 2 again. Because uh, just, it, it just, Top Gun, like, the... Uh, the cheesiness was a little too much, even for the eighties in the eighties. I was like, this is too cheesy. <laughs> when, when Iceman does that, you know, like the, that, that bite, it's like, man, what is this? Um, and of course the, the beach volleyball scene. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just still to this day. I mean, that, that's always the point of the movie. Where I'm like, this is just silly. So cheesy, but the way they were able to take all those elements, you know, again, we were talking about Creed a couple weeks ago, same thing, like to, to turn it into an actual dramatic movie to, you know, borrow the elements from the original and turn it into something bigger. I, I thought with Maverick, I mean, I thought that was the best picture. What was the best, the last best picture? They haven't done that yet, right? Uh, no, they did for last year. Um, it's Coda was the last one, right? No, 2022 Best Picture. I think I should know this. He did the Oscars this year. I'm pretty sure. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Ugh. Well, I mean, what is that? Did you see it? <laughs> no. Dude, is it's it crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's really good. Uh, it's a multiverse movie, but not based on a comic. It's really okay. interesting. It's really like um, it's. It's unlike any movie you've ever seen. I'll just put it that way. Like crazy shit happens in the entire film, but it's a story about a couple that is contacted by their counterparts from parallel universes. And okay. it just go it gets crazier from there. Like the fight scenes and, and it was also a drama and a romance. Like it's really interesting. But but Top Gun Maverick probably wasn't even nominated, right? I think it did get nominated. Did it? I okay. It did. I'd be shocked would, if it didn't. Yeah, why wouldn't it? It was very popular. Because the critics don't like to admit that they love movies like that. You know what I mean? Like that, really? that the audience is like, they like huh. to, they like to say like, I've, I found this obscure movie over here. Like the, the shape of water, that fish, the, the fish was, the lady was screwing the fish in that shape of water. <laughs> right? He's a merman, I think. Okay. A merman, but good God, I tried to watch that movie and it was the worst thing I'd ever seen, but that one best picture that year. And uh, huh. I just think critics will refuse to like what the general public like it, it likes, except for a couple rare occasions, Gladiator, Titanic. There's there's a few right. here and there, but for the most part, it's something really boring. It was nominated for Best Picture. It six, was. six nominations and one for Best Sound. <laughs> just it should have be been weird. Best Picture. But I again, mean, I didn't see the other movie. But I think, Matt, kind of like we were talking about with Cobra Kai last week. I mean, don't you think with Maverick, what people liked about it is that we took this idea that, yes, he was this play by his own rules guy. He was a hero in the first movie, but a lifetime of that behavior didn't work out for him. Right. And it's sort of like a cowboy's last ride. 100% humanizes him and automatically, instead of if this was a real world setting and we met him, we wouldn't like him. Right. But we don't have to meet him. We get to watch on the other side of the screen of everything play out. So he's not dissing us. He's not uh, showing up late to our meetings that we scheduled with him, etc. Right. So we as fans just love to live vicariously sometimes through a lot of these characters and or 
I hate to say it this way, but like watch a good car crash every once in a while. Um, we're entertained by it all. And uh, again, I think it humanizes him in a way for to us, the viewers, not if we were actually in that world where he's doing all these terrible things to people and treating them like crap and stuff. But <laughs> you know what I mean? For some reason, it's entertaining and you root for him. And as always, you know, they come through, you know, and come through again in the end. How many times is Jennifer Connelly picking up the tab before she's like, all right, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's time to move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, man, Jennifer Connelly in that movie, ridiculous, right? Uh, yes. Fabulous actress. She's an amazing actress. Garage. You are correct. Just fabulous. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it begs to ask the question, how was she single at, at that age? Uh, you know, are we getting NWO, Raj? And I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a long weekend, but sure. How is she single? That's Raj's number one question. She owns yes. a bar. She meets a lot of like men in her day to day business. She's the how only one that still... works there, apparently. Yeah. How is she still single? That's the question. Maybe because yeah. she was waiting for Maverick, because even though it didn't uh -huh. work out with them. You know, like uh, she so the, the kept the flame alive and was holding out hope that he would uh, ride back into her life. Yeah, I don't know. That's the biggest flaw of the movie, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> She's the only one that works there. <laughs> and Val right? Kilmer, or there's a, some old guy too. Yeah. Um, Val Kilmer's performance, though, which they oh, had yeah. to actually for that they had to use AI to recreate his voice because he lost the power of speech. Um, but that is a very powerful performance. I know Val's had a, like a tough past decade, but it was yeah. phenomenal to see him reprising his role in the film, the vice yeah. man. Yes, I agree. Yeah, le legitimately has throat cancer. Can't talk. They had to use AI to uh, do his line. And man, uh, again, I didn't like the original, but I got choked up in that scene. Mm -hmm. I thought it was amazing. The way they did it, it was uh, it was tactful it was done uh really well it definitely was yep uh my wife disliked the first one so much she wasn't interested in maverick we were flipping channels the other night i've learned that i can get her to watch anything if it's on if it's just on cable and i just sort of flip it on like she'll watch and then she'll either sit there and make comments or she'll get drawn into it and so we get to the end of maverick and she's finally like participating and commenting along but we get to the end and she looks over at me and she's like are you crying <laughs> i was just like shut <laughs> up it was a very powerful ending he yeah. found his closure <laughs> yeah. we got a couple of uh, chat questions yeah here. i please. was gonna throw up real quick um one was some punk 82 bringing up that they've never seen top gun you're not wow. missing much we just watch watch the second one <laughs> <laughs> And then our, our old friend, uh, stellar Justin Lopez saying Top Gun Maverick got nominated solely because it saved movie theaters post pandemic. Ooh. So it's basically a thank you nomination. I, I it did save movie theaters, right? Yeah. Like that was the movie that stopped people from being like every movie has to go to streaming. Now it's back to the theaters. And if you remember, it was at a time where people were still getting back around one another again. And this was something that people were rushing to want to go mm -hmm. and see. Everybody was taking fic pictures outside of the theater next to like the cardboard cutout of right. you know, advertisement for that movie. It was so popular. Yeah, it was huge, and and it was a gigantic hit. It it lasted forever, and uh, as as Justin Lopez is bringing up, Spielberg even told Tom Cruise at the Oscars, "Thank you, you saved theaters." That's awesome. Because yeah, everything is just headed straight to streaming. Yeah. No, it was a big deal. I remember uh, he got pushed back, and that movie was supposed to be released, I think, what, the Christmas 2020, and it got pushed back uh, a few times before finally coming out. And yeah, that's the thing. It's like, say if something like that had been dumped to streaming, it would have, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. can't imagine of watching that not in a theater it, the first time. And, and think about those actors. Like, it's it was four years where, you know, they had to kind of wait. You know, Miles Teller, who who played Rooster. Uh, what's, what's the other guy's name? Glenn, um, Glenn Powell, I want to say, that played the hangman. Oh, I don't know. Okay. But... Uh, going deep. You know, Raj is going deep with the cast of Top Gun. <laughs> I mean, I know John Hamm was in it, but like... But John uh, Hamm is great yeah. in everything. But, also, uh, when did John Hamm become like the old, like, kind of 
like crotchety. Uh, yeah, crotchety <laughs> stuck up guy. When did that happen? <laughs> he he was basically Ed Harris uh, in the movie, but a younger version, you know. Yeah. But John Hamm is great. We were just watching Bridesmaid last night, and he is he's so versatile that I, I always felt like he never quite found that right part that was going to make him a superstar. He was Mad Men, but as far as movies go, uh, I just felt like he never got that that right break. I liked uh, him as Fletch in the new Fletch that came out. Do you remember the original Fletch? I used oh, to yeah. Play. Yeah, Chevy Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing I want to talk about, now, now that I'm thinking about this, yeah. it's interesting if you look at Tom Cruise's career, because you could make a really good argument that in the majority of Tom Cruise movies, Tom Cruise is playing Tom Cruise. And what is interesting, like his best movies are the ones where he does something a little different. Um, if you look at Jerry Maguire, which we'll talk about, where he starts the movie as Tom Cruise and then actually has to act in uh, the back half of it. Uh, even, um, even uh, oh, why am I blanking on the, uh, the movie Edge of Tomorrow? Even in that, he's like kind of acting like he's Tom Cruise, but really he's kind of a dork and then has to become the hero at Empire. the end of the movie. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, interview with the vampire, which is crazy. Remember, people were outraged when he was cast as the vampire Lestat. I remember that. Yeah, that movie sucked. I thought. What you guys liked it? I thought with, it sucked. He was very good in it, though. Yeah, I mean, Tom Cruise. He 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 had that. He he had a uh, obviously superstar career. Like how many people? Yeah. This many years later, uh, can rule Hollywood the way that he does. He had that one year where he jumped on Oprah's couch. He was given all the, uh, the you know, telling Brooke Shields what to believe and things like that, uh, where it hurt his reputation. Yes. And then it took a while to come back from that. But he did. And, you know, that's a that's a success story. And to have his biggest movie ever come out just now, uh, he's a success story. I, I'm a big fan of Tom Cruise. I You know, I, I put other beliefs aside and everything. And I just think he is... Uh, He's one of those guys that we've grown up with from, you know, our childhood and he's still there. He's still doing it. He's still an action star. Looks great. I don't yeah. know what he's doing, but Jesus Christ, he looks amazing. And uh, yeah, he, he's, he's been with us our whole lives. There's not many people like that. Stallone is old. Arnold is old, but Cruz, he's, he's stayed the same. Um, I, my first memory of watching a Tom Cruise movie this really speaks a lot to just some of my weird quirks and issues and how I was raised. Uh, my mom rented Risky Business for us when I was like eight years old. <laughs> I've never seen it. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Risky Business. Um, Risky Business, he, uh, his parents go out of town. He gets a call girl uh, to come over. Uh, her pimp starts like harassing the both of them and then the finale of the movie is he turns his house into a brothel for his high school students yep. for one night. Yes. Yeah. I got to check it out. <laughs> it's good. It's a good movie, but I don't think I should have been watching it at eight. I don't think that was like appropriate no, you child. Should. You should not. <laughs> my, first movie, my first Tom Cruise movie outside of Top Gun uh, and, and The Outsiders where he was the star was... Uh, was it far and away that he did with Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was like, ah, I, 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 I don't see, I don't see the hype. And then a few good men just sold me. I was like, man, this is one of the best movies of all time. I thought, you, I thought, I heard your favorite movie with Tom Cruise was Eyes What I Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> I will tell you, I was so excited for that movie because I love Stanley Kubrick. I love The Shining. The Shining is one of my favorite movies. And in from the trailers, it looked like it had that same kind of Shining vibe. But what? then, God, that movie sucked. I hated that movie. Huh. Yeah. I still, you guys don't, know I still don't know what it was about. I mean, I saw it in theaters. I was bored. There was a yeah. whole bunch of, there's a, a bunch of, new, really what the majority of it was, if I remember this correctly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all nudity and weird masks. Um, yes. And weird masks. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but we were watching Cocktail the other night. That was on, and that what's weird about Cocktail is that. Oh my god! What? How many classics has this guy done? I mean, a lot. He's so, had an amazing dozens, career, right? Um, that about Cocktail. 
but what's interesting if you go back and watch cocktail like he did after top gun he shot the color of money with martin like, scorsese paul newman yeah and paul newman um and then he shot cocktail and after top gun came out Every movie from there on out is either a movie that Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise was working with a really important director like Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July, um, or it was a movie that he had complete control over, which is why I think like Days of Thunder, I think he started playing the same role again and again because he figured yeah. out this formula that worked, so he just ran it into the ground for many years. Yes. And he is so invested. I, I, this is one of the things I admire so much about him is he is so invested. There was this uh, this clip of this stunt he does in Mission Impossible 7. He does that motorcycle off the cliff um, and you see it. And it basically he did 200 jumps. Uh, he, he trained forever. It wasn't a stunt person that did it. It wasn't CGI. He actually did it. And if you watch it on YouTube, like how they, they filmed that scene and how long it took, and the amount of uh, uh, preparation that he put into that stunt, it was amazing. This, this dude is, I don't know if he has a death wish or what, but geez, these stunts that he's doing, Top Gun Maverick too, they are actually flying those jets. It's not, uh, yeah. it's not stunt people. It's not other people doing it. They had the uh, actors actually do their own makeup in, in the jets, and, and they have the camera in the jets, and they're actually flying. And... Uh, it's just insane. If you look at, if you go watch those Top Gun Maverick uh, making of videos, it's it's insane the amount of commitment that Tom Cruise puts in, and in return expects his co-stars to put in. Yep, it's cool though. Um, yeah, I think. See, I think his comeback, Raj, to to your point um, about mm -hmm. there was that like year where everyone maybe wasn't so hot on Tom Cruise, and then even um, like that Mummy remake came out. There was like, yeah, oh, yeah. But I yeah. think he realized that audiences respect that he like the biggest movie star of our lifetime is willing to risk life and limb for our entertainment. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of the comeback because even those mission impossible movies, I've seen all of them. I still can't tell you what any of them are about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like they're all confusing. They all have that weird light. It's like got the James Bond thing where there's like that boring 45 minutes in the middle, but there's everyone remembers the big stunts. Yeah, everyone's kind of a bad guy, good guy. Like they kind of shift back and forth, and yeah, I yeah I agree. Yeah, but they're awesome, you know, because all you remember is those big stunts, and and there's always that one scene in those Mission Impossible movies. The last one, uh, I haven't seen the uh, seven yet, but uh, in six where he jumps from building to building, mm -hmm. he actually did that and like broke his foot when he did it. He does, and he kept going. <laughs> He literally does all of his own stunts and yeah. leaving out multiple other things he's done like that, where it's being carried on the side of a jet where he's holding on yeah. to take off. Like he shoot did that. It's insane. No, gnarly. No, it's really crazy. Um, but I think, you know, similar to Maverick, I think Jerry Maguire is, I still think that's his best movie, like just bell to bell performance because in that film he starts out as the Tom Cruise that we're used to seeing again and again and again, he has sure. this moment of clarity about that. Maybe he's not like working for the best sake of uh, what he's doing is not for the greater good in the sports agent industry ends up getting fired and then has to rebuild his life and career and figure and along the way he figures out what really matters to him. And I think that the nuance in that performance and the depth he shows is so much more interesting than just seeing him sort of do the same thing again and again. Yeah, he shows a good range in this in that movie. Actually, he um, very very good range because he's he's all over the place. If you go back and watch it with the type, I don't want to call them angles, but like within the storylines within that storyline itself, the movie was very very impressive of how he played each part within that movie that he had to play. It was super emotional, feel feel like a piece of you know what what he's doing potentially to her and her family, right? Um, lots of different things that you could see him go through that emotional roller coaster with uh, of emotions rather. And um, I thought he, that's one of the best movies. I love that movie. I, I, I would say that that was probably the best date movie of the nineties. Oh, that's a good call, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. 
It depends on what kind of date. I mean, I would say there are some dates that, hey, if you took them to see Wild Things, like, oh yeah, well, it's gonna be a pretty good. That was gonna be a pretty. Yeah, good that's date. uncomfortable because they look at you during those scenes, and you're like, gotta gotta read the audience, Raj. Gotta know who you're going out with. No seller. Yeah, you can't enjoy that. Yeah, you can't. You can't be like, yeah, this scene's great. But Jerry Maguire, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty innocent, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and, oh, and it has enough for for guys, and it has enough for the women. You know, like it, it satisfies both Cuba, sides. So Cuba Gooding Jr., every guy loved him in that movie. He was every, awesome. That movie loved him. I was surprised he didn't go on to bigger things. Like right? it kind of ended there. And he got an Oscar for it, and he didn't have. go didn't really go anywhere after that. I know, but he was a great character. His character was awesome, as was oh god, what was a little kid's name? Oh yeah, uh, Jonathan <laughs> Lipnicki. Him too, right? Yeah, Renee Zellweger. I felt like the one that benefited the most from that movie was probably Renee Zellweger. Yeah, like, like was- Tom Cruise was always Tom Cruise. Right, Cuba, Cuba didn't really take off. That kid, that was that was kind of it for him. He got a sitcom with Bronson Pinchot where Bronson Pinchot played an alien. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> and, like, like got severe back damage due to a stunt gone wrong on that. I don't know why. I've, I've known a lot about Bronson Pinchot's career. Uh, but, yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. tried. I mean, he was in Pearl Harbor. He was in As Good As It Gets, I believe. Uh, was he in Rat Race? Like, he but acted these, a lot. These were small parts, though, yeah. that he got. Like, even in uh, As Good As It Gets, it was Greg Kinnear that had the the big supporting role, right? And he was Greg Kinnear's boyfriend. He 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 wasn't getting like the uh the roles that would get you attention. Like no matter what he could he would do in those roles, they were so small that he couldn't uh well, he couldn't overcome it. Before before that he was a child a child actor that was on the rise. If you guys remember or teen a teen actor I should say. He was awesome in Boys in the Hood. Yeah. yeah. He, was he was awesome. I thought that was a he was better in that, you know, than any movie I've ever you know been that he's done since, including Nobody Jerry Maguire. Could have pulled off that "Show Me the Money" uh, uh, scene, yeah. but he's <laughs> yeah. so funny in that and so so great. One of the greatest scenes of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Matt, I want to break it out now. You and me have a little one-on-one talk here, so Raj doesn't get sued. Sure. Um, here, we're gonna. <laughs> We're going to flip this. Raj is going to go off camera. Uh, so, Matt, I was thinking about this with Jerry Maguire because, you know, we've talked in our previous podcast we did together. I feel like, you know, over the years, we've, we've spent a fair amount of time talking about, like, your career as a professional wrestler. And um, when I was thinking about it for today, I was like, whoa, um, Matt Morgan has his own sort of Jerry Maguire-esque story, starting yeah. when you got released from WWE so when you got released from WWE, that was in what, 2005? Yes. And walk me through it, because I know there were a lot of WWE releases this week. It's fresh in everyone's mind. You had a match, what was it, the the Tuesday before you taped a SmackDown for that Friday where you were jumped by the Mexicools. That was your last WWE match. Um, what were you thinking, and what did the company tell you going into that match and when you left SmackDown that night? So, no, they did not tell me I'd be getting released because if they did, I, I mean, granted, I'm a good sport, a good, I would have done whatever, you know, they asked me to do. But, no, they did not tell me, you know, hey, because uh, uh, I remember asking when they, like, they just did the draft. Carlito, who I was working with at the time as his heater, got drafted over to Raw. And I remember asking, like, hey, what does this mean for me? And uh, they said, oh, you know, don't worry, don't worry. We got big plans. That same week, that Tuesday, I was supposed to wrestle William Regal in a one-on-one match because he just got drafted over to our show on SmackDown. I was excited as hell to be able to wrestle him finally because I never had a chance yet. And they're like, oh, yeah, and so the Mexicals are going to come. They just had started with us. They were red hot at the time, and um, which is hilarious now when I look back of how pathetically horrible. That's a whole other conversation for another day of how terribly stereotypically this – Badly stereotypical. They they made those characters right from Mexico's. Looking back, um, actually, they should be ashamed of it. Looking back in retrospect now, but um, with that said, 
they came out, the three of them jumped me before the bell rang, before I could wrestle uh, uh, William Regal. Um, I believe they jumped him too, if I remember correctly, in the aisle way. But um, anyways, I went home like no big deal. Because I had just finished this tour in Japan where they did a super show. Not everybody from SmackDown and Raw goes to those super shows to Japan. Only like the top, I don't know, 15 guys on each roster, guys and gals on each roster for Raw and SmackDown go to that. And I, but I tag team with Carlito against the Big Show and Aki Bono, believe it or not, a uh, very famous sumo wrestler over there in Japan, at Saitama Arena in Japan. Anyways, so I thought things were going. I mean, I hated my character. I hated the stuttering character, Glenn, as you know. But, um, anyways, that Friday I get that was a, that was that was one of the original Black Fridays for WWE where they called. I don't know, like 20 or 25 of us, I believe, if I remember correctly. And and they started releasing, like, my friend Jim, Mark Jindrak had been released, uh, a few others, like, a day or so before me, if I remember correctly, or, or, or maybe a few hours before me. And then I got the call coming out of a doctor's office. I'll never forget this. I was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, still. And um, Johnny Ace tells me, he's like, hey, just want to let you know that uh, – Unfortunately, we're going to have to release you. I was like, did I do something wrong? And he's like, no. He goes, but uh, I know you don't like this character, Matt. I knew that when you were walking into this because you told us. You told me. So here's the plan. We're going to get you off television for a year. I'm going to set you up with New Japan Pro Wrestling. You'll make good money there. And when it's time for you to come back, people will have forgotten that stuttering character. And I was like, at the time... I should have been devastated, Glenn. And don't get me wrong, I was. But I should have been, like, crying. I should have been heartbroken for weeks. I would argue I should have slipped into depression. Because this was my childhood dream. Like, a lot of guys you hear say that, right? I call BS on a lot of them because they think they just have to say that to sound like, you know, they're so interested in pro wrestling and, you know, the writers will write better storylines for them because they're passionate about it and they grew up a lifelong fan. I really, shoot, did grow up a lifelong fan. My room was glued wall to wall with either Michael Jordan or nothing but wrestling posters and pictures of Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, you name it, Flair. I loved pro wrestling for a special needs kid like myself growing up. It was my biggest escape to get away from bullying, to get away from feeling uh, insecure about myself. Sure, I was taller than everybody, but when you're a little kid, you don't want to stick out. You want to be like everybody else. Um, So wrestling was my bread and butter for so many things as a kid. So I really, really wanted to do this since I was six years old, Glenn. So you would think I'd go into depression, uh, uh, maybe a panic attack on that phone. No. And you know why? Because yours truly was still in the belly of the beast dealing with my drug addiction at the time. I was high. Not high, and I was a functioning addict for those that already know my story. Meaning you couldn't tell anything was wrong with me, Glenn, at all. Like, like, um, rest, I, I never at this point, never wrestled, not high. I always did everything high every four hours around the clock. I was always using 80 to 120 milligrams of either oxy or hydrocodone, chewing up those painkillers in my mouth, swallowing them, doing a shooter of orange juice to get the sugar to hit my, to make it hit my bloodline quicker. Um, and get that high. Cause that high was an energetic feeling is what it would give me like a, uh, uh ephedrine times a thousand type of feeling. So because I was on that stuff, when Johnny Ace called me, I was, I remember being like, do you remember when I told you guys, hey, why would you take a seven foot, 320 pound natural uh, athlete that, I don't know, majored in communications. And I think pretty good promo, according to Jim Cornette, I'm a good promo and I'll take his word for it, sir. Um, that probably not the best idea to have me be the one stuttering. And he's like, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, okay, you were right. But look, we had to try something new. We tried it, didn't work. That's okay. Like I said, we're going to get you over to Japan. You're going to make some very good money. And uh, we're going to be bringing you back in a year. I'm like, Ugh. all right, you know, and I didn't want to burn my bridge because, like you said, he's going to be bringing him back in a year. Well, so I remember calling, it was hard calling my mom, calling my dad. I felt like I let them down, like I was a failure. Um, uh, same, obviously, to my wife. My wife cried, obviously, because she knew what that job meant to me, what working for that company meant to me. Um, my whole family, they were shocked by it. 
not because my, you know what, didn't stink or I was God's gift to wrestling. No, but because they all knew what it meant to me because they all grew up with me. My cousins, my aunts and uncles, everything I got for a birthday was centered around a pro wrestling t-shirt or poster or an action figure every year. Like, I'm not joking. Like, literally every year, even to my young adulthood. Um, that's what a huge fan I always was. So I think it hit them worse than it hit me because, again, I had been high. So I could have been hit by a Mack truck, truck to be honest, uh, Glenn, and I would have no-sold it because I'm high. So when you're high, you're numbing all your feelings, all your emotions, everything. But I can guarantee you I would have hit a huge bout of depression, Glenn, like most wrestlers do. You don't hear this part of the story. I would say 80% of back when the guys in my era, uh, Ruthless Aggression era, of really good wrestlers would get released. I'd say eight out of 10 of them would hit a huge bout of depression. Huge. Because, yes, you can go to Japan and make money like I did. I made more money in Japan than I did for WWE, if I'm being real. But it's still not WWE. You're not, you know, a household name. You're not walking into different places and everybody knows who you are. um, Like you would when you're a WWE superstar. So it's a blow to your ego, number one. But number two, a lot of the guys don't know what to do when it happens to them. So now what I do in my life is a whole nother story, but I, I try to help those that when they do get releases to try to, even before they get to releases, to always tell them, don't call it a backup plan. Cause we say, Hey, you need to have a backup plan. Cause you never know how long you're going to be doing this. Well, that comes across in a negative light. Why is that your plan B quote unquote really can be, end up being your plan. A. one day we'll talk about that. But at the same token, there's a ment- there's a huge mental um, I don't know what the word is, but like uh, um, just depression really is really what sets in with a lot of these guys and gals that you see when they get released. Today, it's a little different because sure, there's an AEW um, and they pay very good money there. But back when I got released, there wasn't. There was just Japan. If you wanted to make money like WWE, we had to fly, what, 13 hours or whatever it was to get there. Um, and you're away from home longer because you're there for, I was there for a week or two and then go home for two weeks, back on the road two weeks to Japan. I did that for quite a long time. And uh, a year later, you know, they came they came a-calling, but uh, maybe we'll tell the story on a different day about uh, um, TNA had just started to pick up. They were about to go on Spike TV, and they were going to sign me, but they wanted to wait till they started their deal with Spike because they were going to get paid good money for it, and they'd have more money to give people like me uh, what we're worth, right? And... Uh, Ended up working out for the better. I ended up being able to go to TNA. Um, and I was able to pick up where I left off with the blueprint character that I was doing in Ohio Valley Wrestling previously. The one that Vince should have used when I first pitched it to him. And um, from there, obviously, they called me. They wanted me to come back. And um, But I remember feeling more loyal to Dixie Carter at the time and Jeff Jarrett because they had a stacked roster at that time and they spent some good money on me. More importantly, they let me be me. And there's just this freeing feeling. I don't know how to explain it. When you have a company that believes in you and they believe in your character and they know if they give you the ball and say, Hey, go knock it out of the park. And you do, you feel loyal to those people that allow you to do that versus no disrespect. The company that tried to take a circle and jam it through that square peg hole and making you know, one of the better big guy talkers, you know, I don't mean that to sound arrogant, I'm saying because it's the truth, into, uh, you know, a bumbling buffoon who stutters over his words. It's stupid, right? But um, so I didn't go back the first time. And uh, they made other inquiries since. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, over the years after that, once my con- when the ru- it'd be rumored that my contract was up, I'd always, you know, get a call from them. How much time do you have left? How much time do you have left? And I'd always entertain the call. But I took a lot of glory, if I'm being honest with you, of being able to tell them no, no, until I reached a point with TNA that I've done everything. When I left TNA, I wrestled the seventh most matches on television out of everybody on that roster. They're seven foot, 300 pound guy, which goes to show you that when you have a giant, you should not be putting them on television to wrestle every single week because you lose your luster. You lose your specialness as a big guy doing that. But uh, long story short, Jackson ends up, my son ends up being born January 7, 2014. And up to this point, 
I already talked to WWE. I was going to be coming back where I was going to be the blueprint, Matt Morgan. I had my boots, gear all paid for and ready to go. And at the end of January of 2014, I was supposed to re-debut at that year's Royal Rumble. And um, my son had just happened to be born January 7th before all that. And holding him in the living room for the first time, this switch went off my head that I can't be away from this kid ever. I just prayed, you know, to to Christ every single night to be a dad for 12 years. And we couldn't, for whatever reason, you know, we weren't able to get pregnant. We did everything. And that's another reason why I was so loyal to Dixie Carter. She one time, she had trouble too getting pregnant, her and her husband. And she one time flew a, uh, God, what do you call a therapist? Um, God, a hormone specialist to to work with me and my wife. She flew that, that person into where we are here in Orlando at one of our tapings. And that's how awesome of an owner she was and what a good friend she was to all of us that she spent that kind of money because she knew how important it was for me to try to be a dad one day anyways so now it all finally happens i'm a dad for the first time holding my son and i just this switch came over this whole feeling came over me that i don't want to be in the road anymore um my job is to take whatever wrestling background i had or being an american gladiator or any fanfare at all that i had and i need to figure out how can i not cash in, but stretch that into something in which I'm making impact in people's lives every day, but most importantly, my sons. Um, so very, very blessed, very blessed now to be a multi-time mayor, multi-time city commissioner, uh, and making good changes in my community that my little boy is going to grow up in. I can literally say I was a part of that, 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 that. I helped create that, 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 along with my fellow commissioners here in the city that my boy's growing up in and being able to take advantage of all these cool things we have in our city now. Um, so, yeah, the same token, like I told you in the beginning, most wrestlers get into a very deep, deep downhill um, ride into depression when they first get released. Um, when I had first been released, there wasn't any other national televised shows that you could go to like they have today. So today's very different. Today you could still make money on the indies, good money. You could still make money with AEW. Um, back then, it wasn't like that. And I think that's a big reason why so many of the guys and gals would take it so hard when they would get released. You know, why? in my opinion, I'm not saying it's why addiction became addiction in the world of wrestling, because that has always been prevalent and part of our underbelly for many, many years until this current generation that has it right. And they all stay away from it. God bless them for it. And I remember when I was a wrestler at the time, when I'd see like some of the veterans making fun of some of us, uh, AJ, AJ Styles, huge video game guy. I, I'd always have a, had a TV in the back of my truck. See, people say TNA pays bad. I had a Hummer with a friggin' PlayStation and Xbox in the back of my Hummer. You just open up the hatch, had my blueprint logo everywhere because I'm a complete mark for myself, obviously. <laughs> and um, anyways, and I had a flat screen Vizio that we all played Madden on. And right before the show would start. And some of the veterans would walk by, oh, my God, you nerds. Well, that was the beginning of the next generation doing stuff backstage to stay out of trouble. There's no reason for you to take pills or drink alcohol if you're sitting there playing video games with your boys uh, and, uh, and your friends in the locker room. Or, God forbid, learning more about one of them and their family lives like they do today. You can say what you want about these wrestlers today, but I'll bet you donuts of dollars they live far longer than my generation did. Yeah. And I mean, it just goes to show that there is another chapter. There is uh, light at the end of the tunnel that just because you were released and it seems like you're at your darkest moment, you can actually build something so much stronger that when they do come a calling to, to ask you to come back to the show, you're good with passing on. It. And I think that's still just one of the most amazing uh, parts of your journey is when most people think the story ends you yeah. built this entire other life for yourself. And I think it's, it's uh, really impressive. I mean, to become, I'm being serious before Jackson mm -hmm. was born, I was so excited to finally show everybody the blueprint in the WWE world. Do you know what I mean? Like not just in OVW, but on WWE television, I was so excited. And the fact I was coming in as a surprise rumble entrant, it would have been cool. And I was doing good things with TNA at the time where that, that audience would have recognized me. It would not have been an AJ Styles pop. I'm not saying that, but it would have been enough to take off and have a new lease on life with that company. So to be clear, I was excited and pumped to be going back, but 
that's how important it was when I became a dad and that feeling I had. So those of you that aren't parents yet, those of you that are, you know, uh, that are wanting to become parents, do it. It's worth it. There is no better feeling on the planet than being a, a dad or a mom. Nothing comes close to it. All your goals and your achievements shift into them. And it's better watching them smile when they achieve something or acknowledge that you're acknowledging they just achieved something. There is no better high on this planet. I mean that. Nothing's even close. So I called WWE and told Vince himself that I just became a dad. And uh, obviously, thank you for the opportunity. You have no idea how long I've been waiting to come back and show you guys, you know, how much I've improved, etc. But it's time to be a dad. And he's like, he understood it completely. I called a couple of the other agents at the time that I did tell I'd be coming back, that same thing. And they were very, very cool about it. Very cool, very congratulatory. And that was it. So, so Matt, real quick, um, and, and I know you mentioned that you were high a lot during your first WWE run. Um, yeah. Did that start with WWE or was that before? Like, how, how, how did that get started? Great, great question. A back injury. Um, I'm wrong because I had back surgery two months ago, but uh, a back injury. I started to have back spasms, and it came at a time when I was told I was going to be getting called up to SmackDown soon, that I'd be starting on Team Lesnar for Survivor Series, and I just hurt my back around the same time. And I'm like, I can't miss this. Are you kidding me? This is a chance of a freaking lifetime. I'm in a main event angle right from the shoot, my rookie year. What? I'm not messing that up. So started taking the painkillers that were super prescribed to me okay two weeks into it you guys i'm not bsing here two weeks into taking it i started to feel like this floaty itchy but very good itchy feeling it's hard to explain if you've never felt it um that the third week that itchy feeling went away and i started to have an adrenaline rush type of high and that's what now became the norm whenever i would chew my painkillers and I'd have to keep stacking more so because I, my body kept getting adjusted to it, right? I would get this super rush of energy. Like if you were to take a fat burner times a zillion, that's what this high was. I'm talking I'm in the gym lifting at 4 a.m. I'm sleeping maybe two hours, no problem. Because um, the stuff was that strong for me. And my addiction for it was equally as strong. But I also overdosed seven different times along the way. Um not on purpose, obviously, but because I was taking so much. And, and they would keep prescribing it, even though you're going through faster than you should be. Uh, now, this is why you'll never hear me blame a doctor. Um, I now work in the world of addiction as well. I also get people into treatment for drugs and alcohol. Now, besides being a mayor or a commissioner here in Longwood, I do that as well. But you'll hear the statistic, well, 80% of drug addiction starts with a prescription pad for if somebody's addicted to opioids. I still don't blame the doctor. It's all on me because what you just asked is a great question. Well, Matt, they're writing you for a prescription for 180 Percocets a month. If you're going through five or six or 700 of those a month, how are you doing that? Because I'm beating the system is what I'm doing at the time. I'm what's called doctor shopping. I'm going to multiple doctors back then when they didn't have a centralized computer system where they could chase and find if you were getting prescriptions from other doctors for the same drug like they have today. And I was smart about it. I would pay out of pocket instead of using my insurance. So my insurance wouldn't set off any red flags to these doctors that I'm doctor shopping them, meaning I had three or four of them writing me a prescription for 180, whatever it was, a Percocet, Loracet, Loratab, um, Norcos um, at the time. And so I, I'm not joking. I was 80 to 120 milligrams every four hours around the clock. Damn. Like it's enough to keep my doctor when I had to have surgery to remove a staph, uh, staph surgery. Uh, what was a staph infection in the back of my shoulder here? Um, that I almost could have died from from that as well. That infection was bad, but um, they couldn't do surgery on me right away because I was so high. They were scared if they put me under, I wouldn't wake up. And so they, the doctor stooges me off to my mom and my wife who were out in the waiting room. They obviously come storming in, and my mom's like, "See, I told you you have a problem. You told me don't worry, don't worry." Well, now I'm worried, and she's like, "You're gonna get off this stuff." And I got, I took my, it's not joking, guys. I'm supposed to be getting like a surgery. So instead of me being smart about, I'm, okay, honey, I promise I'll get this done and then just get through the surgery. No, I put my clothes back on. 
I'm like, listen, you you both need to stop worrying. You both need to stop worrying about this doctor. He's a quack. If he knew anything what he was talking about, I'm way bigger than a small horse. So this clown doesn't know what he's talking about. And we're leaving. We left and we went to a different hospital. And I ended up getting that surgery, but I still had to wait to the following morning to these pills were out of my system. But that's how ridiculous, that's how arrogant um, you, you are when you're in your addiction. Nothing's more important than it, Raj. Nothing. Nobody either. My wife was not more important. My mom was not more important. Nothing. It's the most selfish thing you can do on the planet. And because you don't think you can breathe without it, it becomes your oxygen. You can't go to work. You can't be a good husband. You can't do this. You can't do that. You mind at yourself into thinking these things. It's funny. Cra- I was talking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. It's, it's one of those things where prescription meds, I was talking with the RVD about this like years ago where prescription med, you won't find deaths from marijuana. Like nope. someone was high and, nope. you know, ran into a tree or something. You, you, you don't see that. But Michael Jackson, you know, all, all these uh, Whitney Houston, all these celebrities, it's the prescription meds that really ultimately gets them that, that are legal. And uh, yeah, it, it's kind of insane, like how, the kind of hold that can take on that can they're, take on a person. Because they're antipsychotics when you think about it. Right? It literally leeches onto your brain receptors and it controls everything from your, not just your, th- your pain threshold. That's the easiest part. It's when I got clean, eventually my mental detoxification process was the hardest because on myself for five straight years or so, right. Of never missing a four hour window of dosing at those doses. I told you earlier of 80 to hundred milligrams of this stuff. Right. So keep that in mind. So that means when I'm having, let's say an argument with my wife, I don't care. I'm numb to it all. It's not the real Matt talking to her. Right. It's mm-hmm. the- up high mat uh me losing my job i should have been devastated i should have cried i should have bawled tears over that no i was like mm, on to the next um all these different things again you could have like sledgehammered me in the face i probably wouldn't know so that too i was so high so and what happens is you lose your ability to handle and how to get through scenarios especially your emotions because you turned i turned them off for five years so now that i started to get uh, sober it was very difficult in that first year for me to learn how to like simple things. You think this is crazy. Listening to music was different. Taste, your taste buds were now multiplied times a thousand. All your senses come back times a thousand once you get sober. And that's when I was blown away by how numb I must have made myself that now music is sounding different to me. It sounds more clear. It sounds louder. The taste, my taste buds were like on fire, like certain foods tasted so great that I normally used to no sell, not care about at all. Um, more importantly, in my relationship, like how many times did I just like give the old verbal stiff arm instead of getting into my feelings and my emotions with my wife during a very serious conversation that maybe she needed to have with me back then for all I know. But then life with job situations, right? All that stuff. I numbed myself to it also. When you first get sober, you go through a few panic attacks and anxiety attacks the first time you get put in a high-pressured situation because you don't know how to deal with it because you can't use your pills anymore to numb it. You have to eat it and get through it. And that's why I always tell people when you get sober, you cannot just do, let's just say, a 12-step program and just call it a day or you quit cold turkey and just, you got it. You're, You're good now. Sometimes people can say they do that, but the majority can't. I couldn't. I needed a doctor to work with and work through my emotions. Why was I numbing myself to begin with? I was dying to be a WWE superstar my whole life. Why would I want to numb that? Why? Well, because it started with an injury and I just got, you know, sucked into the addiction. But to not be able to wrestle without it or do anything without it is crazy. But that's how much it took over my life. And I'm now, I should point this out, almost 18 years sober. It's an important nice. <laughs> No, it's amazing, man. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I think uh, it's, again, just just a really powerful story. Um, Raj, did you have, uh, what else do we have? I I feel like this is a good note to to end the episode on. We're not going to get better than this. It's all downhill from here, folks. All right. Um, But I want to tell people about what's coming up. So next week, we're going to do a combo episode. And we're going to talk about No Holds Barred and They Live. 
Do you remember the song from No Holds Barred where it's like, life gets hard when there are no holds barred? Dun, 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 dun. That's how you need to close the right. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, after that, it's spooky season officially. October's here, so I think we're going to talk about some horror movies. Fa- our favorite horror weeks. movies of all time. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a couple weeks. I'm sure we could do some stuff on Jaws, Nightmare on Elm Street, the some Shining. Other ones, the sh- Shining. <laughs> I don't. I don't consider that a Halloween horror movie. What? It's scary. You're right, but it's come really- play with us, Danny. <laughs> Yeah, I think Doctor Sleep was a better movie. Oh God! What was called Doctor? It's the sequel to The Shining. Doctor Sleep. I liked it better. Sucked. I didn't like it. I love it. Until they go back to the Overlook, I I I thought the movie was boring. Uh, It's about the kid from The Shining grown up and all the issues he has as a result of what happened to him as a kid. Uh, but anyhow, so uh, everybody follow us on Twitter. Uh, Matt's at BP, Matt Morgan, Roger's at the Raj Geary, I'm at Glenn Rubenson. Please like, share, subscribe. Uh, we're going to try putting out more clips of the episodes. We appreciate you all helping amplify that and build an audience for this. And uh, hey, everybody, have a great week. We'll catch you back here next weekend for another episode of Gigantic Pop. Take care.